This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. start with a story. Once upon a time, there was a forest known as Taragam. And in that forest lived many sages performing penance and who had acquired supernatural skills and power and over time had grown extremely arrogant and full of pride. In order to confute them, our hero of the story disguises himself as a wandering mendicant, a beggar, and proceeds into the forest. On seeing him there, the sages get very insecure, for he is in their territory. They decide to harm him with their magical incantations. And when that doesn't work, they light a ritual fire in order to invoke dreadful creatures to harm our hero. The first creature to jump out of this fire is a fearsome tiger. But our hero is courageous, he's fearless. He tackles the tiger and kills it, rips its skin and wears it around himself as if it were his garment. The next to jump out of this terrible fire are numerous snakes writhing along but a hero is not scared of them either. But he's slightly bothered by them, for they are in his way. So what does he do? He picks them up and wraps them around himself, around his neck, around his limbs, as if they were his ornaments. And finally, out of the fire jumps a terrible, malignant dwarf demon and attacks a hero and what does he do he tackles the demon also fights it puts it on the floor and with the tip of his big toe crushes the spine of that demon and begins to dance on top of him, a dance of ecstasy. By this time, the sages realize that our hero is no ordinary man. 
So who is this man? Let's see. This is Shiva, one of the important figures in the Hindu trinity. And this story is from the Koil Puranam in South India. And the image of the dancing Shiva, Nataraja, really crystallized around the 10th century. But these are mere facts. The question is, why does he dance? He could have done other things. He could have engaged the sages in a, in a verbal discussion, or he could have run away, or he could have physically tackled them. He was certainly powerful enough to do that. But why does he dance? Why dance? So let's find out. Is this all religious, cultural mumbo-jumbo, or does it have some significance? One could dismiss it as not relevant or as, oh, this is, from, this is too archaic. It doesn't relate to us. So let's look at what relates to us for a moment. Let's look at science, because that's what we all want to believe is evidence, empirical evidence of that. So let's look at what scientists are telling us, particularly nuclear scientists. What are they telling us? They tell us that every subatomic particle in the universe, well, first of all, they tell us that the atom is the building block of the universe. It is the basic form. And within the atom, the subatomic particle is not a static entity, but it's a dynamic entity. It's in constant high-frequency motion. In fact, it is because it is in motion that the atom exists at all, because the atom is not a physical entity. It's an energy field. So if the energy, which is the electric energy, is in constant motion in the, in the atom, and if the universe is made out of such zillions and zillions and countless atoms, then one can conclude that the entire universe is in the state of constant motion, and motion being dance. So the dance of Nataraja, of creation, of dissolution, of constant creation, of constant dissolution, this rhythm of, of the universe, we know that, that, that universal bodies are, are, are in constant process of creation and destruction. So this scientific truth is enshrined in the image of the dancing Shiva, because he is the one who is embodying that truth, which is one of his panchakatya, because dance is the essential function or the act of life itself. So it's no uh, surprise or it's, it's, it's no wonder that the image of Nataraja, of dancing Shiva, is also enshrined at CERN, C-E-R-N. How many of you have heard of CERN before? Great, wonderful. So the Global Center for Nuclear Research in Geneva, Switzerland. 
Here's another image of the same Nataraja at CERN. Now, speaking of science, humankind has made tremendous progress in science and technology. We have come to a place of absolute fantastic scientific discoveries that have made our lives comfortable. We've progressed. We are still progressing. There are lots of things that we don't know. And yet, we do not know the answers to questions such as, where do we really come from? What is the final frontier? Where lies the edge of the universe? What is the purpose of my life? Why are we here? Yeah. Some people have gone about it, some philosophers have gone about it in search of truth and along the way have found beauty and justice like Plato did. And other philosophers like Nietzsche have gone as far as proclaiming that life is without an objective meaning. And what is strange is that Nietzsche had really arrived in the vicinity of, of finding something really profound. And this is a wonderful way of going about it, to find answers to questions by looking outward for answers in the world, by analyzing it, by um, dissecting thought, with, with reason, yeah. But there's another way of going about it. And that way is to look inward and not outward. That way is to search for answers within, which is the yogic way of looking for answers. And by yoga, I don't mean the Bikram yoga or the power yoga class that we all attend on weekends. But it is a systematic way of, of going beyond the conscious and even the subconscious mind. Because in the yogic principle, one realizes that the capacity of the thinking mind is limited. And even Immanuel Kant has, has talked about it when he says that we can understand the limits of our knowledge, but we cannot transcend it. Yeah. So let's look at what is the yogic way. It says that the source, the, 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 the place from where we all come from, okay, let's just say uh, some people call it consciousness, some, co some people call it the formless, the absolute truth, the purest form of consciousness, the eternal, the inexplicable, the endless, some call it Brahman, not Brahman or Brahma, they're all different by the way. Brahman, yeah. the, the, the inexplicable, but our, our interest here is, is sacred geometry. Our interest here is visual. So let's look at how do we go about it visually. So the bare minimum, formless, if you will, is a dot, yeah? 
So the assumption is that the dot is the origin of it all. This is consciousness, pure consciousness, but it's in its purest form is unmanifest. What does that mean? It means that it is not conscious of itself. It doesn't know that it exists. It is a potential consciousness. But when the consciousness becomes conscious that it is conscious, do you follow me? When the consciousness is, becomes conscious that it is conscious, at that time, time and space are born, you can say. They're born and they, 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 they separate. They separate. In the Nasadiya Sukta, in the Rig Veda, it says, Tuchaye nabhupihitam yadasi tapasastan mahina jayatayakam kamas tatagre samavartatadhi manasoretaha prathamam yadasit. When time and space separate, what is born is the mind. The mind is born then. Okay, so let's look at time. Time is, you, is considered to be a cyclical phenomenon, a cyclical phenomenon. Think it's the, 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 the cyclical movement of planets, for example. Time is not considered linear in this context. The space is defined as a square. So we, we have circle and square, the two fundamental forms in sacred geometry or in geometry. They are the basic forms. They cannot be altered because once you alter them, they, they become something different. So you have time and you have space. When the mind is born, then the next is the thought. The thought is born. And when the thought interacts with time and is in space, it acquires qualities. It's, it's not pure thought anymore. It acquires qualities. And what are they? They are the three qualities, distinct qualities of sattva, of rajas, and of tamas. The sattva being the centering quality, the quality where there's no distinction between you and me. My thought doesn't tell me that you and I are different. It's the most centering realization of thought. Rajas is the egotistical quality where the realization that I exist, I am, I'm a person in the world, in this space and time. That is the Rajas quality of the thought. And the tamas is the decentering quality where the difference between you and me becomes clear to me. That you are there, I'm here. I have certain needs, you have certain needs. This is my territory, that is yours. I must build a wall, I must not let you in. This is all tamas quality. And from there on, preservation, sustenance, sustenance excuse me, self-protection, all of that is born. Fear is born. So then we have these three qualities and they are shown in the hierarchical order of their value as sattva, as rajas, and as tamas. 
but the thought is an is is an intangible entity for it to manifest into the tangible world it needs the tangible elements the five basic elements and what are they what are the five basic elements fire thank you fire air water earth and the earth with its downward pull shown that way the sky with its upward pull the water with its lateral pull and air with its multidimensional existence all emerging from the center the source so now we have thought space time and the five elements all in one diagram and what we have here is the cosmic energy mandala or a cosmic energy diagram and this diagram is the basis of the understanding of how life works how life is manifested into con- from consciousness from pure pure consciousness from the unmanifest the manifest in india the potter is known as prajapati and prajapati is also a vedic deity the creator of the universe because it is realized that that, that the potter knows the secret and how does the potter know the secret is they have a wheel yeah and the amorphous clay is put right bang in the center of that wheel and when that wheel is set into motion the potter goes right bang in the center of that circle and tries to then make the pot that emerges out out of the center so all movement is from the center out have you ever have you ever seen a potter working it's be- it's a beautiful sight absolutely beautiful all thought stops and you hold that that activity in such a sense of awe uh and 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 it's it's like a miracle happening the same phenomenon can be seen in the architecture so this is an exterior of the the brihadishwara temple in tanjavur but that's the exterior okay that's that's the 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 attraction of wow this is beautiful this is great but let's look at the diagram the the architectural plan of 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 the temple right over here you have the garbhagriha or the sanctum sanctorum where actually the the deity is worshiped that's the womb garbha means womb that's the womb the place of creation and bang in the center of the garbhagriha is the lingam which is the an iconic form of shiva that we first saw is the is the abstract form of shiva is a formless form you can call it that right in the center and all the other activities go on around that lingam so the source is in the center and then activities are emanating out of that 
The same thing happens in many um, rituals around the world. If you look at old civilizations and what are their community rituals like, usually there is either some sort of a fire lit in the center and then people gather around the fire, they dance around the fire, they will, they will create music around it. There is some sort of a, a ritual happening around it. The same thing with the, uh, I don't know, it, now it's very popular, the Dar- Garbha, Dan- Dandia Garbha in, in America. Yeah, during the Navratri, Diwali season, you have these Dandia Garbha in a circle, which has really come from the concept of the Ras, where, the, where Krishna is in the center of this, this activity, and all the leela, the play of life, the play of life, of forms. And by forms, it's not just the tangible form that we are referring to, but also thought is a form, an idea is a form. So the play of the forms is really the leela around him. And he usually is either static in the center or he's rotating right there, but he doesn't leave the center. The same visual can be seen in the whirling dervish. The displacement of the self is the idea of this dance, is to get lost in this continuous circular motion. If you look at a cell, an animal cell or a plant cell, where does the life begin in it? It begins right bang in the nucleus. And then it starts to emanate from the center out. The same thing can be seen in the growth rings of a tree. If you take the transverse section of a tree. The same phenomenon can be seen in the unfurling of a flower. Every little part of it comes from the center and then it moves out. In India, there's a tradition of kolam, as in South India, or alpana, where the rice flower is used to to mark the, the auspicious entrance outside the house. And how does the kolam happen is that the the person puts the dot in the center first. And from that center dot, then very systematically, there is an organized way of organizing these dots. And then from the center, that design progresses outward. The same principle can be seen in how we eat our food. So if you've been to a a traditional Indian household and they bring you the thali, it's usually circular. Even if it's on a banana leaf, some, some, some of us eat on banana leaves, by the way. Even on the banana leaves, there is some semblance of a circular organization around it. And you're supposed to mix the food in the center of that arrangement. The Brahmasthana, as we call it. That's the Brahmasthana of, the, of, of, the, of, the, of this arrangement. 
when I was a kid, if I would mix my food here or here or anywhere else, my mother would smack me on my, on my wrist and she'd, no, get back to the center. Because by leaving the center, you are actually disrespecting the food. Why? Because it is the source, the source of your sustenance. So you must acknowledge that. So every little act, the hidden, the hidden, um, uh, the beauty of everyday life. There's great beauty in these rituals. And, and, and psychologists talk about that. Jung talks about it, about the, 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 uh, the importance of the ritual that keep man, well, he used the word man, so I'm going to use that, he, that keep man from getting lost in the world and falling into what Nietzsche called nihilism. Yeah, that, 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 that life is without meaning. The CIIS uh, logo has this, uh, the yantra, the Shri yantra. And you, here you see the same pattern, but then there are triangles and squares. We'll come to that, the play of the triangles and the square. Okay. So all this is fine, but, but what about us? What about we as individuals? Aren't we also a part of the cosmos? Aren't we also a part of the universe? Yes, we are. So how do we find ourselves here? And if this is the energy, cosmic energy diagram of the universe, then it must dance. As we have already established that the energy is not a static phenomenon, it is a dynamic phenomenon. So how do we make this dance? We make it dance by deriving the human energy mandala. We derive the human energy mandala from this diagram. So let's see how we do that. We derive the human energy mandala from this diagram. And this is the basic posture of the first dancer's stance that we take. It's called the Ardha Mandali or the Aray Mandi in dance. And the Ardha Mandali is the most stable you can get in the human body. It's a very difficult thing to hold. So here you have the Ardha Mandali posture. Now imagine that there is a line here, okay, going through and through the spine, through and through the spine. From the tip of the head, to the tip of the fingers, going this way, there's a triangle. There's a triangle here. There's a triangle here. There's a triangle here. The square is formed by two triangles. You can draw a triangle this way. You can draw a triangle from here. This goes on. So this, these are numerous triangles that the body is creating, but, but not just everywhere, within the cube. So when you are dancing, the body is creating different triangles, 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 
triangles, triangles, triangles. But we are always moving within the cube. So the triangles are what is giving the dance the dynamic quality. And when the square is moving in three dimensions, what does it become? When a square moves in three dimensions, what does it become? A cube. The triangles give the dance dynamism, and the cube gives it stability. And it is the interaction between these forms that is the birth of energetic dance. So if this hand is here, or it's here, or if I do this instead of this, the dance is not aligned properly. The body is not aligned properly. Therefore, the energetic dance is not being created properly. So that's why sometimes you watch, you watch a dance performance and you don't know what something, something not right, you know? And you, you realize, wait, this, everything, the dance is dancing everything the way they should be dancing, perhaps, but I'm not feeling it. Why is that? Because there is a part of you that knows the secret. But you can't, you can't place it. You don't know how to define it. And that's why it happens in that way. So there we derive the human mandala. Now, how many of you have seen this image before? Great. Who, whose illustration is this? Da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, great. And what is it called? Vitruvian man, very good, why? Why is it called the Vitruvian man and not da Vinci's drawing? It's universal, but why Vitruvian man? What, is, what does that mean, Vitruvian? Ideal, okay, maybe. Thank you. So Vitruvius Polio was an architect and he made some notes. He took some notes on architecture that this is how it should be. This is how a building should be made. These are the dimensions. This is how the ideal building should be made. And based on his notes, Da Vinci drew the image of this man. Okay. Now, during the Italian Renaissance or the European Renaissance, it was for the first time that human beings were actually taking a bold step and saying, you know what? Nature and man are not separate. Because up until then, there was man, and then there was nature. But people like Da Vinci said, no, they are actually analogous with each other. In fact, human is nature. And that was a huge revelation for the world. Because it was kind of, it was sacrilege 
of, of, the, of the upheld notions up until that point. So the, the Cosmographia del Minor Mondo, as we know it, the cosmography of the microcosm is what Da Vinci is showing us here. Because if man is the, the creation of God, okay, I'm, I don't use that word often, but I'm, I'm stepping into the Renaissance time, okay? There's God and there's man. So if God created man, and if man is going to make a building, so if, if the building is a creation of man and if man is a creation of God, so if we find the ideal proportions in the man, the analogous principle of, of, of those proportions will also help us understand the ideal proportions of a building. So over here, what Da Vinci has done is that he has drawn the ideal proportions because he is saying that the universal truth of creation is embodied in this drawing. The universal proportions, the ideal proportions of a building can only be drawn once we learn how to draw the ideal proportions in the human body. Because creativity is creativity, whether you're creating a human figure or you're creating a building. Yeah. So brilliant, really brilliant. And then he's also engaging with the circle and the square over there. So, so he's come very close to us. Da Vinci is close to us over here because he's, he's engaging the two basic forms. But there's something different with Da Vinci's drawing. Can anybody point it out? What is different? Circles outside the square. Very good. Very, you had your hand up too. Is that what you were saying? Okay. Circle is outside the square because he's, one is, one is doing this, yeah? One is doing this, and then the other one is doing this. I think that's the square, and this is the circle, am I right? This is the circle, and then this is the square, yeah? So what has happened now that, like it's, it's already somebody said, circle and the square are separate. So then we have what? Two different centers. There's the center of the circle, and then there's the center of the square. The center of the circle is where his navel is, and the center of the square, well, I, I don't need to tell you where that is. Yeah, so, but, but that drawing then doesn't work for us, because if we were to assume that there's only one source of creation, then that drawing doesn't work for us. Because that, this, is, this is what philosophers call monism, by the way, in the West. The non-duality. The Advaita. Yeah. So the only way that the circle and the square center of this man will coincide if he does this. 
And it is for this reason that you see that the Indian, the, the classical Indian sculptures, the gods and the goddesses, dancing gods and the goddesses, are usually dancing from this posture. They're taking this posture first, and then they're move, moving into the dance. So the, the knees are always flexed, because they are trying to be, since we are showing them in the human form, the divine must live within the cosmic energy mandala. Even when the yakshis or the, the gandharvas, when they're playing musical instruments and dancing, even they are taking the ardhamandali posture because it is what gives the form the energy that it needs. So life is actually seen as an outward journey from the center out into the world of forms, of ideas, of identifications, of relationships, of sorrow, of duality, of, of joy, sorrow, uh, night, day, you, me, this, that, yours, mine. Yeah, And it's wonderful to engage in all that. But it's a, it's a delusion to get entangled in it. So our goal is to be aware of that, to not get delusional in that illusion that that is real. Because what is our goal? Our goal is liberation. And how does liberation come? From the realization that this is temporary and our final journey is to involute, to go back to the source, to go back to the center. And that is the final moksha or liberation, which is the final among the panchakritya, the five actions of the dancing Shiva Nataraja. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu podcast. <laughs>